Welcome to the weekly podcast of Bright Star Bible Church. Thank you for joining us. As you listen to the proclamation of God's Word, our prayer for you is the same prayer that Jesus prayed for His church in John 17, 17. Father, sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. Now, for some of you who were with us last time I preached, this may sound a little bit familiar to you, but... Um, if you missed that one, you can find it on our Facebook page, our YouTube, or as well as you can listen to the podcast through the app. So, um, but this can kind of be a standalone sermon as well. So if you missed it, you're not missing anything much from last week. Now, all throughout human history, there has been no strategy utilized more frequently by kings and commanders and warlords than the tactic of divide and conquer. We've all heard this. We've all, there's, there's actually business tactics on these, uh, using this, this idea. And it has been around for thousands of years, but as a motto, it's attributed to Philip II of Macedon, just around 350 years before Christ. So, if you don't recognize his name, you will definitely recognize his son's name. Uh, and that was Alexander the Great. And so, using this military tactic taught to him by his father, Alexander the Great became king of Macedonia, king of Persia, king of Asia, and even the pharaoh of Egypt, all at the same time within 10 years. And he started when he was 20 years old. He, he finally conquered those things at the age of 30. He died only two years later, so he didn't have... Uh, much time as, as the king, but still, it's a very simple tactic. It requires only misdirection and patience. If you make people quarrel amongst themselves with petty squabbles, eventually they'll turn against their brother. And this strategy is actually being used today, uh, even within our own borders. But there's another motto that you'll be familiar with that stands to oppose this sort of operation. And it's found all throughout our nation's history as well as the Word of God. United we stand and divided we fall. But this saying actually comes from Jesus from Matthew 12, 25, where he says, And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. Now, as much as I love some political truth and discussing current events, the timeless truth here, uh, Jesus' words, it's useless unless He is the Lord of your life and you are His servant or slave. What good is patriotism, liberties, and undeniable rights if you're going to spend an eternity in hell? This is pragmatism, teaching or finding teachings found within Scripture and finding a practical use for them outside of faith, outside of the context in which they were divinely written, which brings us to our text today. Jesus illustrates his point using a house, while Paul uses his point, I said that weird, Paul, while Paul <laughs> uses, uh, uses his illustration of a body and the members of it. And if we know that a house divided will not stand, we must ask this question, how then are we to unite? Well, Paul teaches us that in this text. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 26. That's what we'll be reading today. For those of you who, uh, who are new with us, we, our, our, our lead pastor is actually in Israel right now, and then we have a whole another half of our church, which is consists mostly of the Lillard family. They're, they're not with us today. Uh, but um, so normally uh, we, we have a little bit more full chairs. But anyway, we'll, I, I, I digress. Uh, so 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body. It is... It is for this reason not any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, 
I am not a part of the body. It is for this reason any less a part of, not any less for a, a part of the body. For the whole body, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary, and those members of the body, which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our present, more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member that which lacked, so that there may be no divisions in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And this is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this word. Father, we pray that it does not fall on deaf ears. I pray that you will be with me as I lead this congregation through your word. And I pray that you'll be with them as they receive it and do so as they carry on throughout the week. Father, we love you and we praise you. And since Jesus is in the holy name we pray. Amen. Now, as you can see, like I mentioned, this is a part two from my former, uh, for, for my last sermon where we discussed being baptized into one spirit through one baptism into one body, which is the body of Christ. And today, we're digging a little bit deeper into Paul's point concerning individual members of the one body, the same body, the whole body. As we study this passage, there is no doubt that it's pretty straightforward. If you, if you were to read this text yourself... Uh, the imagery that Paul is, is stating, it's clear. It's easy to understand uh, because it pertains something that we're all so very familiar with, our own body. However, this simplicity could very well actually pose a problem to us in our interpretation. It may in fact be too easy to understand, too familiar to us, that we grasp the general sense of the passage so quickly that we want to immediately jump to our application. Rather, we should give this text the labor it deserves, the same labor that we would give any other passage in order to rightly handle the Word of God. And every verse should be given the same weight as the next, because every word was divinely given. So, if we overlook the finer details that Paul gives here to the Corinthians, we risk misunderstanding the text altogether. Or even worse, we might fill in gaps with our own ideas that may be completely contrary to what Paul was, with the point that Paul was trying to make. And this passage in particular has been misconstrued and misused to push agendas and ideas that were it was never meant to convey. For example, the idea of larger people groups being referred to as a body. That's, this is not the first time. Paul didn't come up with that on his own. Um, it's found outside of Scripture, in, in secular circles and philosophies and the like. So it's a pretty common thing to hear larger bodies being referred to, or larger people groups being referred to as a body, whether it's a family, or a tribe, or a nation, they're made up of individual members of the larger body. However, people would often use this passage or just the illustration to emphasize the importance of the body over the importance of the individual member. And we see this today in everything from cults to modern business practices where uh, they, are force, they force a collective ideology, a collective message on, on their people that sounds something like this. We all make up the body so your individual needs, well, they're just not important. The only thing that's important is the good of the whole. Or something like this, you're just a foot, so just shut up and serve the body. Are, 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 are you not concerned with the body's best interest? 
And their collective framework then adds to the text to make it say something that it actually doesn't say. And the exact opposite is true as well, especially here in the United States. Uh, these uh, individualists that we have here in the West bring an individualist framework to the text. We all know this, this line. Remember that we have these unalienable, unalienable rights for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And this idea, however great and profound it is for our country and our freedom, it can lead us to read this passage in another framework, with another framework in mind. We, we place the emphasis on the importance of the individual and, and kind of take away from the importance of the body uh, or even to, at the expense of the body. So here in the West, we teach that every foot should go wherever it pleases at whatever pace they like, regardless of who they leave behind. Those people, they're just holding you back anyway. We tell every hand to take whatever they want, touch whatever they desire. Who cares if it's not, for the, if, if it's not theirs for the taking? And every ear, there's no limit to the amount of filth that they can consume, nor for the eyes the amount of filth it can consume. For the tongue, just taste, just taste. Just taste and try it. That's what our culture is all about. It's an extreme and rampant individualism. You see, in our modern culture, we, we don't abuse individuals for the sake of the body. Rather, we, we, because of our emphasis on diversity and freedom, our society has become broken and fractured. The very fabric of what it means to be an American is totally un unrecognizable. And because of this same individualist framework, you can say the same thing about the church today. But Paul severs both the collective framework as well as the individualist framework here in this passage. He confronts assumptions that we maybe never even knew that we were making. And this is why it's so vital to getting the text right. Not what does this text mean to you or what does this text mean to me. It's what did the text mean to those it was sent to. Their original, the original audience from the original writer. We have to find that, and that's our duty. That's our job. We labor over these things. Read it, and read it again. Know the definitions and the terminology, lest you fall victim to your own thoughts and your own ideas. Now, for your notes, uh, there are three points that Paul makes here in this passage that teaches us a lesson on how we remain unified for the edification of the body while still, while still <laughs> honoring the individual members of the body. So an individualist will, will learn the importance of the edification of the body as a whole. And the collectivist will learn the importance of honoring the individual members of the body. Now, the first point that Paul makes that Paul wants us to learn is the proper view of our gifts. The proper view of our gifts. Let's look again at verse 14 through 19. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body. It is for this reason, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? So his first instruction, his first instruction is this. Paul tells the Corinthians, don't discount your own gifts. In verse 14, we see Paul, that, Paul says, For the body is not one member, but many. So by the very definition of the body, you cannot be made up of identical members or parts. We cannot expect the body, to be, the body of Christ to be any different than, than the body that's being referred to. How ineffective 
would it be if our bodies were just a pile of noses? Or the church, for instance, was just a bunch of preachers. How ineffective would that church be? Just, just a bunch of preachers. No administration, no discernment, no evangelism, no faith, no giving. And I could go on and on, but you get the idea. You need all of these parts working together to have a body. Don't discount your own gifts, the gifts that the Lord has entrusted you with. Then Paul illustrates this point in verse 15 through 16. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And this is where it gets interesting, because you can read this and you can just gloss over it and you can miss something vital. Notice that the body parts that Paul chooses to refer to in this illustration, the foot and the ear, they are the ones with the dialogue. And without any speculation, we can agree that certainly the foot is absolutely nothing like the ear. So why did Paul use these specific members, these specific body parts? The purposes that the ear and the foot serve are not even remotely similar. However, the foot doesn't want to be an ear. The foot wants to be a hand, which we could say that there are some similarities from the foot to the hand. But the hand, it gets slightly more perceived importance than the foot does. And the same case with the ear. It wants to be an eye, which both parts serve in a similar regard. However, the eye has more, rece- more perceived importance than the ear does. In both illustrations, one body part looks slightly more impressive than the other. And the member says, look at all these things that this member does. Look at all these things that that can do, and I can't even do one of those things. And then Paul responds to both as the same. Your perception of yourself doesn't make you any less a part of this body. What you bring to the table. Don't discount your own gifts. Don't look at someone else's gifts and compare them to your own. And discount your own. Paul then exposes the absurdity of this comparison in verse four, or, I'm sorry, verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? In my, in my study for this sermon, I'll be, I'll be honest, I couldn't get this imagery out of my mind, and so I kept on deciding, do I put it in there or do I not put it in there? So I decided to put it in there. Uh, if the whole body were an eye, so think of it this way. If you've ever seen the Lord of the Rings movies, you'll recognize this character. This is the evil and ominous Eye of Sauron. And of course, somehow he's still able to speak without having a mouth, but we'll ignore that fact for now. Sauron is literally a giant flaming eye on top of a tower-like structure. And he basically is the embodiment of evil, except without the body. And what's interesting is that the only power that he has is to see whoever puts on the ring. He can't climb off the tower and come after you. All he can do is see. And in fact, his famous words when Frodo puts on the ring are what? I see you. And my point is that Sauron, however extremely powerful in this series, his power is limited to sight alone. Without his forces, or you could say his body, to wage the war for him, to wage, to go after his enemies, he would be no threat at all in the state of this all-seeing eye. No threat at all. He just, he's just an eye, a big eye, but he's still just an eye. So, what Paul is saying in, this verse seven, in verse 17 is, you may look at these other members who seem more impressive and wish that you could do the things that they do. But without 
all of the members, like Sauron with his all-seeing eye and his, and his armies, without those other members, you are totally ineffective. I played t-ball when I was a kid. And the coaches decided that I would be a great right fielder. And if you ever played t-ball or baseball, you know what that means. Uh, it means that you're totally ineffective. And so they put you out there to the right side of the field because all the, the right-handed bat baseball, or the batters are hitting the ball out to the left field. And the reason why they did this is because I like to sit down and I would watch the ants crawling uh, on the ground and picking flowers. And I was, I was totally ineffective. For, luckily for them, they, there was no kid who could actually hit the ball out to me. Uh, so it was really a win-win because I was a part of the team and I felt like I was cool uh, and they filled a position. Now, there was no such thing as a participation trophy back whenever I was growing up. But regardless of how terrible I was, my team still won and I was a little league champion. And uh, however that real that is, it's nothing like the body of Christ. It's nothing like the church. Nothing like it at all. In fact, what God's word tells us is that every individual, every person who belongs to the body of Christ has their own individual gifts and has their own individual functions and is absolutely necessary, absolutely indispensable, and absolutely in essential in the body of Christ. So we must not discount our own gifts. Why? Because they are necessary, essential, and indispensable. Even those that appear to be less impressive, they're just as important as the next. Then this final argument that Paul uh, points out, he knocks it out of the park, uh, pun intended, um, in verse 18 and 19. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? Our existence is no accident. We are not the product of some alien goo or an evolutionary process, but God, in his sovereignty, put us together piece by piece exactly as he wanted, exactly how he chose and exactly how we exist today. And the church is no different. To deny or discount your gift that you've been given is to deny and discount the wisdom of the creator of the universe. Isaiah 46.10 tells us, Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things which had not, have not been, been done, saying, My purpose will be established, and I will accomplish my good pleasure. He declares the end from the beginning. And, and here we are, right in the middle, between the end and the beginning. And you might say that we're not actually in the middle. We're probably like closer to like seven-eighths there towards the end. But you get the idea. He has declared it all. And all will be accomplished for His good pleasure. How much happier would we be if we just saw our lives in this light? Including the gifts that we've been given. Being content with what we've been given. He is so good and He is so gracious. And He only gives good gifts. And those gifts are sovereignly given. Don't discount your own gifts because God in His sovereignty gave them to you. And now that we understand the proper view of our own gifts, Paul then moves into his next lesson in verse 20. And that is the proper view of others' gifts. How should we view others' gifts and, the, and, and others and their gifts that they've been sovereignly given? The last lesson was about looking up at others' gifts and, and then comparing them to your own. And then here we're comparing. We might, we might be totally secure and content with the gifts that we're having or that we have and have been, get, been given. However, now we're looking down at those who may seem less impressive. And we'll see a very similar structure here and the points being made in this lesson 
uh, as we saw in the last. So verse 20 through 25. But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. And again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked so that there may be no division in the body, but that the, members, that the members may have the same care for one another. Now, the comparisons have changed. There's still a dialogue happening. One body uh, member of the body saying to the other. The last comparisons, though, were similar in nature. The foot and the hand and the ear to the eye, just one being perceived slightly more impressive than the other. However... Here we're seeing comparisons of no similarity at all. The eye talking to the hand and the head talking to the foot. But how much more can the eye's sight reach compared to the hand's reach? An eye can see for miles. A hand is severely limited with its reach. And how much more useful is the head in comparison to the foot? The head, housing the brain, which is the central point of all five senses, not to mention the height of the head versus the height of the feet, which are constantly on the ground. Of course, these differences are all perceived, one to be higher than the other, one to be better than the other, and not just by a slight difference, but massive differences. But let's look again at what verse 20 says. And 21 says, But now there are many members, but one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Why can't the eye nor the head say these things? Well, it's because they are all of one body. They belong together. Without the feet, the head can go nowhere. Without the hands, all the eye can do, similar to Sauron, is see. It can't reach. It can't grab. Such as is the body of Christ. We cannot look down on another member's gifts that may seem weaker or less honorable. Paul is saying again, do not discount others' gifts. I told you there's going to be some similarities. In fact, Paul takes it even further than that in verse 22 to 24a. On the contrary, he says, It is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas the more presentable members have no need of it. It's about to get interesting. Because these ideas... I apologize, I just lost my spot. Okay, so these ideas in specifically verse 23, they're not clearly stated in in the NASB or the LSB. Uh, I'm I'm reading from the NASB. Let's look at the ESV. I'll tell you what it says. In those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts we treat with greater modesty. So my NASB says uh, we bestow more abundant honor, but, but the ESV says modesty. And then the CSB says it like this, in those parts of the body we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. So the change it kind of paints a different picture for you, for you when you see it from a different translation. Clothe and modesty. What Paul is saying whenever he uses the terms unpresentable and unrespectable parts, he's referring to both our private parts as well as our inner organs. And I'll explain that here in a second. We take great care 
to pay close attention to those parts of our body that, are, that they're clothed modestly as well as appropriately for the protection of those parts. Those parts of our body are private and they're never made public, such as some gifts within the body. You have the more open public gifts like pastoring and preaching and teaching. And then there are the more private ones like giving and faith, which are done in private and with modesty. These are our prayer warriors and those who bless the church financially. And you'll see that Jesus actually taught specifically on both of these gifts in Matthew chapter 6. Starting in verse 2, and th- two 3, and 4, he teaches how to properly give. He starts with in, in verse 2, So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet, a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. I've always wondered what that means. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Do hypocrites receive... A reward? I'm, 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 I was confused by this. And then you see, oh, it's the honor that they receive from everybody Googling or, you know, well, I don't know what the word is. Oogling? Yeah, 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 yeah. How great they are. Wow, there's, this person is so, should be so honored. Look at what good they do in the world. That is the reward in full that Jesus is talking about. But when you give to the poor, Jesus continues in verse 3, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. There we see illustrations of the body again. So that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And then continuing in verse 5 and 6, Jesus teaches how we should properly pray. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street so that they may be seen. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Their reward is being seen and the honor that they receive out in the streets. And then Jesus continues, But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. These things are to remain private and are bestowed with greater honor than those with the more presentable gifts. Because in verse 24 tells us, our more presentable members have no need. They're receiving honor. I receive honor whenever I stand up and I preach the Word. So does Michael. So whenever we lead worship... There is honor given because there's this, there's this talk amongst people. Wow, I wish I could do that. I wish I could be up there. I wish I could, I could go up there and pray like that. And the problem is, is that those people get put, pushed up to the front. And all those others, all the other gifts get left behind and nobody even sees those things. Now this doesn't mean that prayer and giving is only for those with the gift of faith and giving, mind you. Uh, Those are things that we all do. But I'm talking about the people who give endlessly, not only to our church, but maybe someone nobody even knows in our church. Some The people who are totally and endlessly giving their resources in secret and bless others in ways that will never be brought to light. And likewise, there are some of you who endlessly and tirelessly labor for hours upon hours in secret prayer, exercising a spiritual gift that no one will ever see. And you, therefore, on earth receive no honor from mankind. But how much greater is honor from the Lord? Again, we're seeing these gifts are necessary and essential and indispensable They have a place. And for those of you who are gifted in this way, do not lose heart because we are told your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now let's look at 24b, which is right in the middle of verse 24. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that which member, that member which lacked. The honor that you never received here on earth will be given in abundance. 
at a later time in eternity maybe. Or maybe you'll see it. You'll never know why you received it. Do not discount your own gifts and do not discount others' gifts because gifts are sovereignly given. He, he composed the body as He willed. In so doing, there is not one member in the body who is more or less important than the next. Now, it's not out of laziness that this slide matches up perfectly and exactly with the last one. It shouldn't surprise us that Paul holds your own gifts and tells us, similar to love your neighbor as yourself, your needs are just as important as your neighbor's needs. Same here. Your gifts are just as important as your neighbor's gifts. Do not discount your gifts and do not discount others. So last but not least, Paul has a third and final lesson here. And this lesson is on the proper view of the whole body. Let's look at these last two verses in this section, 25 and 26. Verse 25, so that there may be no divisions in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, Paul could have ended with his first two lessons. These are your views on your gifts. These are your views on others. others. This is the view that you should have. But he doesn't stop there. He wants to let us know what the purpose he is writing this for. And that purpose, so that they, there may be no division in the body. He's telling us, do not divide the body. But rather, may the members have the same care for one another. Christian, or Christianity is, is not an individualist religion. As, as a member of the body, you have a responsibility to care for the other members of the body. And likewise, Christianity is not a collective religion either. The body has a responsibility to care for the individual members. And in verse 26, Paul tells us one, in one's suffering, we suffer together. And in one's rejoicing, we rejoice together. We are in this together. We are family. Whether you've been with us for only a little while or, or, or since the very beginning, you are a part of this family. You are part of this body. And everyone should see you as that. Whenever I was young, maybe 10 or 11, I was working on a wooden deck with my, my dad and my uncle. And they were, that we were taking planks, old planks out, off of a deck and, uh, and replacing them with new ones. And when we were done, we had a big pile of lumber sitting out in the yard, and all the kids thought it would be fun to go, you know, go play on it. It was big. And, and it, was, it was great. All was well until I find, found out the hard way why my dad specifically told me to make sure I removed all the nails out of the old planks. I was wearing shoes. However, that didn't stop the nail from driving right through the soul and into my foot. And some of you may have experienced this before. You don't just look at your foot and say something like, man, too bad that that old foot of, my, a foot of mine, like, I hope he feels better soon. No, of course not. That's ridiculous. Every nerve in your body reacts to that pain. Whenever there's a rusty nail going through it, it doesn't matter how big or small or unimportant that member feels, right? Whether it feels insignificant right now, my, my big toe, if I step on a nail, my whole body is going to think it's pretty significant. And Martin Luther has a great quote on this passage. He says, We see what the whole body does when the foot is trodden on, or a finger is pinched. How the eye looks dour, how the nose draws up, how the mouth cries out. And all the members are ready to rescue and to help. And none can leave the other. So that means that the foot or a finger is, uh, that the foot or the finger that is trodden on and is pinched, it's not just the, the foot or the finger, but the entire body that is trodden on or pinched. When 
in pain, the entire body suffers in that pain. And it's a natural reaction. Yet this is difficult for us as a local body. It's, it's hard to know how to suffer when someone, a brother or sister, is suffering. However, Paul says that we must suffer together. And it's no different for a brother or sister who's rejoicing. How ridiculous would it be for someone to come up to a person who had just won a race and say, congratulations to your legs and your feet. They ran a great race. That would be absurd, right? It, it's absurd because we know that the whole body is used to run that race. The whole body is working together. The heart is pumping blood. The, the lungs are inhaling oxygen. And the arms are keeping in rhythm with the legs. It is a group effort. And when your legs and feet win the race, it's actually your whole body that has worked together to make that happen. Therefore, each member should what? Rejoice together. A win is a win. Whether it's your feet or a member of our body, our local body here. We are called to suffer with one another and we are called to rejoice with one another. And if you're thinking that you need some work in this department, you're not alone. You may not know this, but often whenever we get up here and preach, we're quite often preaching to ourselves. So let that be our prayer today and every day that the Lord teaches us how to suffer and rejoice with those in our local body tying us close together. And so eventually it'll be an, a natural reaction. Now, you might be asking, well, what do I do with this? How do I know if I'm a foot? How do I know if I'm a head? What, what, where, what, where am I in all of this? Well, we're going to get into some application. How are we to, to respond and apply what we have learned in this passage and the first application is to submit to the will of God. That can apply to anyone from an unbeliever all the way to the oldest believer in the church. We must first and foremost submit to His will for our lives. And Scripture is sufficient for knowing what that is. Of course, when we talk about submitting our lives to the will of God, we have also... We also have to understand that this is impossible unless you have surrendered our lives to, to Christ. And the Bible teaches that apart from Christ, we, can't, we can do nothing. We are dead. So if you're wrestling in your heart, wondering if you're truly a Christian or not, I want to talk to you after this. Please come find me. And we'll have that conversation. But it's important to remember that with God, this isn't like a Lego set where they might give you some extra spare parts in case you lose one. With God, there are no spare limbs. There are no leftovers. There are no people who just are just pushed out in right field because they're not able to do anything because they don't have a purpose. God leaves nothing unfinished. And every member has a purpose. So, Submit to and embrace God's will for your life. Are, are the hands serving the body with their ability to provide for others' needs? Are the ears serving the body and, and listening and learning? Are the eyes, serve, are the, are the eyes serving the body uh, seeing where the body needs to go? And are the feet serving the body to take it where it needs to go? So which of these are you, you might be asking yourself, how, how do you know? Well, these illustrations that I use, they're not like some online quiz or personality test. I wish it was that easy, but it's not. Some, some groups actually, you could probably find one online, honestly. Uh, I would not go with that. Um, in fact, it's not something that we sit back and dream about. Maybe one day the Lord will show us where we fit in. Maybe one day the Lord will show me what my purpose is. But it's not even about knowing what that is. 
Like you don't just, you don't say, okay, now I know, therefore I go. No. It is what is right in front of you right now. What are your responsibilities? What, what, what has God given you right in front of you, whether it's your neighborhood or in your workplace or in your church or even beyond? What abilities has God given you to accomplish those responsibilities? What relationships have been entrusted to you? We normally think of stewardship referring to uh, finances. However, spiritual gifts that have been bestowed onto us, they require stewardship as well. We've been entrusted with something, and we will be asked to give an account for how we have invested in what our Lord has entrusted us with. And if you don't know in what ways that you can serve, seek counsel, not from a counselor, but from a trusted man of God who has proven himself trustworthy. Not someone who will guide you with opinions, but rather by the word of God and his word alone. If you are a woman, seek counsel from your husband. And if he needs further counsel or guidance, then he can seek further counsel or guidance. And Michael and I would be glad to serve you in any way we can, in any capacity, to help you find where you fit in, where you belong as as a member of this body. Second, I was supposed to tap back there. Second application is to encourage others to use their gifts. And, And maybe it will take, maybe all it will take for one of our brothers to discover their gift is by God using you through encouragement. And maybe you'll see something in them that they never saw in themselves. And that might require us to sit down and think and pray for the purpose of each individual within this body because we know that every believer has a purpose. Why not help them discover it? What do they bring to the table? And what has the Lord entrusted with them to them already? And I believe that when we begin to invest time and energy into those around us, you will find a greater appreciation for what God is doing right here at Bright Star. And then watch Him bless and edify this local body. And the Lord only knows where we can go from here, what He has in store for us. The body of Christ has never been meant to be consumeristic. It's not here to just get your weekly fill of church. And Pastor Mike will back me up on this 100%. We could care less about growing our attendance. Because the Lord will grow our church as He wills. However, we care a great deal about growing our attendees. And if you're a member of this church, we want you to care a great deal as well. Help us by encouraging others in their growth. Help them discover the gifts that they've been given. And I I actually want to offer a challenge to you this week. I want you to connect. I know we have a lot of people who are away. It can be over the phone. Connect with one person this week one other person in our church, and encourage them to either use their gifts that they've been given or help them discover their gifts. You don't have to tell me about it, but I really hope you do it. I really hope that you'll take this challenge. Again, find someone this week and encourage that person about the necessity, the essentialness, and the indispensability of their gifts. Encourage them to use them and pray for them that the Lord will open their eyes for them to see what they've been entrusted with. And quite honestly, I I would love to hear about these these conversations that take place. If you'd like to share them with me or Michael, or at least let us know how we can pray for a specific person, or maybe don't even drop their name. Just tell us how we can pray for our body. Third and final application, and we'll be done. We suffer and we rejoice together. These things are clear throughout this passage that we've seen today. 
This last one, this last one does require some application. Are there barriers between you and a, another brother or sister in Christ? We cannot be one body if we are separated by walls. Our individualistic culture has given us a million excuses why we shouldn't do it, why we should remain divided, why we shouldn't connect with others around us. Maybe we're nervous or we're introverted or we can't relate to that specific person or I don't know them well enough or they have kids and I don't or they, have, they don't have kids and I do. And the list goes on and on, but I want you to take that list and I want you to throw it in the trash. And understand, I understand that I'm asking you to step out of your comfort zone and that is always difficult to do. But we have to find ways to connect with one another. Because being a Christian, you're not, you're not just called to yourself. You're called to the whole body of believers as a whole. It's like getting married. You're not only marrying that person, but you're marrying into their family. So you can look at me like your brother-in-law. But it's a perfect relationship and we always agree. Uh, but brothers and sisters, we are blessed beyond belief. We're blessed because we don't have to go through this world alone. We're, we're not a, a one-man wolf pack. We get to go through these sufferings and these rejoicings, these highs and these lows together as a body. We'll stand together during the hardest of times and we will stand together during the best of times because united our church will stand, but divided, our church will fall. Let's pray.